0: Welcome to my so called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower,
1: and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never ending puzzle of the so called opera life humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works. Each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean. Happiness. Happiness. I'm Marcel and I'm Elise, and we're two
0: sopranos trying to live our best so called opera, opera lives. Last week, Marcel and I talked with Justin Werner and Zoe Preston, the team behind Stratagem Artists, a boutique artist management company founded in 2018. Justin and Zoe are clearly two compassionate people that care about their team of artists the greater opera community, especially young artists, and the art form itself. We loved talking with them about what a manager's role should be in an artist's life, what they believe is a good manager, and other ways that demystify the management process and what managers do, or are supposed to do, for singers. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: yeah what
2: kind he's a mutt we don't know he looks just like a little black lab but we met his mom and she's definitely not a black lab but he's a or she's a rescue and so we adopted him but yeah he's very cute and very bitey I'm like covered in wounds but (laughs) so cute
0: I've been thinking about getting a dog like I feel like every opera singer like can't get a dog because of traveling and now it's like
2: now I can have a dog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know, I although temporarily.
0: I know, and then it's like, maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah, and like puppies are so
2: much work. I have no idea how anyone would have a puppy outside of the pandemic. I have to watch him like a hawk. Right.
3: Unless well, that's the problem because all these people are adopting dogs and the adoption agencies are worried that everyone to return them when they don't have I time. Know.
0: Oh, wow, yeah. I didn't
3: even think so. Yeah, we have, we have two pups and my wife works for the rescue organization where we got them. Uh, and they've had like 180 applications a day for the last two weeks for dogs, but they're still so worried that like when this is all over, they're all going to be returned. But it's the first time, I guess, in ten years that they've been out of dogs.
2: Yeah, the place we adopted from is the same. Our our pup had 70 applications on him. Wow. We somehow were the first one. But anyway, that's been my week. It's been it's been lovely. But what's the dog's name? I just have to ask. That. His name is Angus, like the beef. Oh, oh. I
1: like it.
4: Love. We Gus. call him Gus Good sometimes. Gus.
0: Because goes, oh, so we
2: funny. were, we picked Gus, but then we were like, he needs a full name. Like he's like, a, when he's a man, like he needs to have a full name. Yeah. So that's a good we Googled name. Google names, like Gus is short for, and we really liked Angus because black Angus cows are, they're black. I'm from the Midwest, so I know these things.
1: Yeah, same. Grew up on a farm, not in the Midwest, but grew up on a farm. You get it. That's so cool.
0: Well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to um ask all these questions and talk about all these things. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So we just wanted to start with if you could tell us a little bit about the company, the um the fact that you guys call yourself an artist, a boutique artist management company. And um just tell us about what that means and a little bit about how you guys run your company.
3: Sure. So uh Stadium Artist was founded in 2018. I actually ran an artist management company called Corette and Water Artist Management previously with a business partner. And when my business partner left the business, uh, I formed a new company with the same roster. Um, we're called a boutique artist management agency because there's no corporate entity running us. Boutique also represents a size of a roster to an extent, although boutiques run anywhere from one client to hundreds, hundred that just sort of depends on that company's uh, manpower. Um, and, and wants for their roster. So, you know, I think boutique artist managers have a really personalized approach in most cases. I think they have, in some cases, really close relationships with their artists. Not that our corporate colleagues can't, but I feel like for me, having interned at ING Artists and now running my company, we are given more opportunity to really get to know our artists and to cultivate them from, you know, the starting point when we start working together to a really exciting uh, journey, let's say. So again, not that my corporate colleagues can't do that, but you know, I think the setup of strategy now with the size of our team, the size of our roster, is what I feel confident at any time within reason, having a hour phone call or video chat, being able to attend all of our artist auditions, and to really have a bespoke, customized approach for each artist in terms of marketing, repertoire, website, and to just do that hands-on, I think I couldn't sleep at night if we weren't that hands-on. Cool.
0: Does that mean um, that you may you may change from boutique artists as you grow? Or has, is that something you've ever considered? I'm just
3: kidding. <laughs> so I really enjoy being the 100% owner of my business. I think that really representing a roster of folks that I believe in and not having anyone to report to, per se, is, is exciting for me. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of flexibility in terms of the functionality of the roster, the size of the roster, and offering services that I think are not as common at larger companies in terms of just attention and hands-on time.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I don't believe we will grow from much larger than we are now. Uh, I feel like we're at the size now when when we have an audition season again that we can be at all the auditions that we can have sit downs with each client about repertoire. You know, I know Zoe has been doing marketing and website consultations for our artists and with many more than we have, those wouldn't be possible.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So to really have the friendships, honestly, with our artists uh, much bigger, I don't think we'd be able to achieve that sort of um, really, you know, we're in the trenches together. And I think that that bond is invaluable and just can't be manufactured overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that trust has to be built. Um, and of course there's some trust when you enter the managerial relationship, but it's like dating. Sometimes it doesn't work. And we've had clients leave us. We've had clients not work out. Uh, but no one goes into a contract thinking, oh, this is just going to be two years and I'll move on. But you know, like, uh, one of our newest clients said, not any couple goes into a marriage thinking they will get the right. Um, and that's very true. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So both of you were singers. I know, Zoe, you're still performing. um, And Justin, you're not really. But how could you talk about why you got into managing artists and in relation to where you started as singers?
3: So, you know, for me, I didn't know opera growing up. I didn't grow up around classical music. Um, And then my junior year of high school, my new choir director was an incredibly talented pianist from Eastman. And she, in our choir placement exams, implored me to consider a job in music as an opera singer, um, or at least to try, and, and really gave me a lot of her time um, to cultivate that talent and, and to convince me that music could be a profession and not just a hobby. Um, so I actually saw my first opera in my freshman year of college, which was supposed to be Postpartum Morocco, which I'm very glad wasn't my first opera. It definitely <laughs> um so I saw La Bohème M as my first opera which was good choice yeah, yeah. Uh, and I listened to that Dawn Upshaw, Thomas Hampton let's say almost exclusively my freshman year because that's what I knew and I never was a singer who needed to be on stage I really enjoyed the camaraderie of it I enjoyed the cast party more than the process let's say and yeah. actually my senior year of college I formed a small operatic ensemble with some classmates of mine that weren't being given performance opportunities because the undergrads just weren't really featured. Um, Boston University, where I did undergrad, has the opera institute, which is post-grad certificate program, as well as a really strong master's program. So undergrads just weren't given a lot of role opportunities. So that was my first sort of taste into production. I made a fox switch after undergrad, so I took a couple years off from school, and you know, looked at myself and I was like, what am I going to do with the time? So I actually founded an opera company, New York Opera Exchange, uh, that I ran from 2011 to 2015. We did three shows a year, full orchestra, triple cast, uh, to give singers an opportunity to do full roles and standard repertoire uh, with no cuts in the original language. So that was a real crash course in production. As an artistic director of a small company, you really do everything. And my mantra for that company is i actually did each job on a show before i hired someone to do that job so i did everything from casting to sewing costumes to building sets to managing the orchestra uh, which was an incredibly valuable learning experience for me especially um from someone with no sort of arts admin training previously um sort of in the middle of that i went to grad school as a singer short story or long story short, went to a practice room, cracked real hard on a B flat and uh, singing wasn't for me <laughs> when one of my much more talented colleagues showed up to a rehearsal the next day super hungover and was just killing it. Um, and that ease of singing was never there for me, especially as I switched up to tenor. So I went into my voice teacher who had worked really hard to get me into this grad school with her on a scholarship and told her I'm done with singing and she suggested that I try artist management and that it would synthesize the skill set that I had for my various sort of travels within the industry. And I interned at IMG that entire sort of semester and a half time in grad school, they dropped my entire course load. And I just had to be in the show. I had to do their poppea. And it really appealed to me to be attached to an artist past a per show time. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I would have all these lunch meetings with singers at opera exchange and, what are you doing next? What repertoire are you singing? And a lot of them just didn't have direction. It was a very um, connect the dots sort of path, which I understand is still very common today. And I understand why that's very common. But I think to the best of our ability, we had singers at Opera Exchange who did multiple roles, who moved up to do supporting roles, to lead roles, uh, to better place them in terms of career development. But there's only so much you can do as a producer. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted an opportunity to work with a singer for a t- five to 10 year period, 20 years to really shape the career, to get them into the right companies at the right time and the right roles. So when I started CNW, uh, I came off a two year period of applying to every job under the sun and being too young to be a manager, but too old and qualified to do an entry level position, which I would have taken at the time because we all need to work. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was time to start my own shop. And, and, you know, I have singers who have been with us through both management companies, through the many trials and tribulations um, of our industry. And I think, you know, the one thing I tell young singers is you just never know where people you meet are gonna end up. Um, Zoe and I met on the subway, she had a score open and I walked over and I said, are you an opera singer? And she was studying at MSM at the time. And for some reason we struck up a friendship and here we are, you know. Yeah. An incredible asset to our company and has been so invaluable to our growth. Um, but yeah, you, you just, you know, I didn't go to college or grad school thinking I was going to be an artist manager. And there's no real degree program for it. All of us on the management side come from such different backgrounds, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. You know, I think I found my calling. Maybe in 10 years, I pivot again. But I really feel like artist management is the synthesis of all my skill set and, and empathy uh, to say maybe. Cool.
0: How about you, Zoe? Yeah,
2: so I mean, I don't quite have my journey all, all mapped out yet. Um I'm a little bit younger than Justin. But I, you know, I just finished my master's in December, and I did my undergraduate degree at Manhattan School of Music, um, and I was a soprano. And then my senior year, um, I switched down to mezzo, and I think it all comes down to a fox switch that really just sort of makes you examine your life in a new way Um, as a singer, which I'm sure a lot of people can identify with. Um, And so I, you know, I finished my undergrad and. I decided to take a couple years off and just let everything settle, and and work with a new teacher and sort of see what happened. And in that time, I um, sort of delved into a few different worlds. I ended up working in, you know, special events. I worked in restaurants. I worked. I started doing social media work just sort of randomly. Um, I worked for a while at one of the top ad agencies in New York City, and you know, worked with influencers and use learned about analytics. And, you know, we did all this stuff. And, and I really liked it. I liked using my brain in different ways. Um, And I was one that always liked the academic parts of music. I was a violinist for 15 years. Um, I love to, you know, just talk about music history and all that stuff. I'm I'm a nerd is what I'm really trying to say. And I, And and so in that time, you know, I sort of learned that I I do like other things. And uh, when I went back to grad school, um, that was, I I started working with Justin in my first semester of grad school and just started doing sort of admin work, um, learning about the industry. Um, you know, answering some emails. And it's just sort of been like a snowball effect. I love it. Um, I love that I get to use my degree. I love, you know, being able to voice my opinion and trusting my instincts. And um, it's been an incredible learning experience for me. And then in the fall, I started doing some more actually managerial duties just because we had so many auditions. Um, And at Stratagem, we, we, we go to every single one of our singers auditions. And so, you know, I was running auditions for two hours with a company and, um, you know, talking with singers about their rep choices and sort of doing some damage control when some panels were, uh, you know, more challenging. And, uh, I just really, I, I loved every second of it A 12 hour day doing this was so fulfilling to me. Um, so it's something that sort of has happened gradually, um, but I'm so happy to be part of it. And I'm really excited for sort of, the future of Stratagem and learning more about the industry and um, working with Justin has been phenomenal. He's answered every single one of my really long, really philosophical questions that I've texted him at odd times a day. (laughs) And uh, this whole experience has been tremendous. And I love, I mean, I love to sing. Um, I still study and I would love to, you know, do some recitals and some concerts here and there just kind of for myself um, for now. And I, I don't, expect music to leave my life but for right now I'm just really um really finding fulfillment and um enjoyment and it's it's a real honor to to represent this roster so I I couldn't be happier with where I'm at right
1: sounds so good I love both of your answers so much right like I just love how passionate you both are when you start speaking about like how much you enjoy like cultivating the careers of your singers I think that's that's not as common (laughs) Well yeah, and you I think you
0: both have the ability within your own lives to give yourself like have the confidence and give yourself the permission to think before you act and have the foresight and a goal setting strategy rather than sometimes it feels like if you don't do that, you're just like as singers, um coming from like a singer perspective, like I'm just gonna audition and I'm just an audition and I'm just gonna try to get whatever I can. And like giving yourself that permission to say like, wait, I don't really like this. Or I think this is also great. How can I incorporate these other things in my life um, in a way that works for me? And that's really awesome.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I tell my singers all the time. I tell students this when we talk to them. We don't get paid enough in this business at any level to do or to do something you're not really passionate about. And I think especially post-COVID, the attrition rate is going to be high. It's a tough time to be a musician. It's a tough time to be in the arts. And I think the people who will persevere are those who really feel passionate about the art form. There are so many managers that I know who don't enjoy talking shop. They don't enjoy talking about repertoire. They do this because they have a degree in it and it's something they're good at. It's not because they truly love singing. And Mm -hmm. I feel like to be a manager effectively, you have to love singing. You know, (laughs) it's just, you know, that's, to stop around on number one Mm -hmm. you know i mean Mm -hmm. i have zoe's questions are nothing compared to some of the ones my singers ask (laughs) and i really of course there are times when we're all tired and cranky and get hangry and haven't had dinner yet you know we come to a point where you're at the edge but 99.9 percent of the time i love talking shop now that doesn't have to be everything that you talk about i definitely there is a certain video game from 22 years ago that has been remade into a new version and there are multiple clients on my roster who i've talked about in depth about this game and um i'm debating actually starting a google group to talk about this game on our strategy google group groups so you know there are so many i mean baseball's been a huge connector for me um video games have been a connector for me pets especially uh, having two dogs now so i really you know zoe and i are truly friends with our roster and i think we know their significant others we know their kids with their kids. we know their parents you know i've had to interview with multiple sets of parents before i signed clients and that's something i really embrace because we are part of the toolbox we do not replace the Mm tools we're not your mentors or your only mentors we're not your coach we're not your teacher we are just in a conduit to get you more work and to help shape your career to the best of our abilities And, and to be another opinion like by no means if we say you must learn this repertoire, you have to sing for this company. It's a collaborative process. You know, if a singer ever feels uncomfortable with anything that we say, we hope that there's a conversation about it.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: you know, I think Zoe and I both being singers and, and both having worn other hats, post singing is essential to what we do.
0: Yeah.
3: It uh, works so well together.
0: So going off of that, can we talk a little bit about like a manager's role in a singer's life um, and within their company, You know, looking at your website and your social media, it's very clear from an outside perspective that you guys have a very open policy and you're like more than willing to talk to people both within and outside of of the artists that you actually manage. And I wonder if you could just talk about why that's so important as like your managerial role, like personally, but also what is the definition of a manager and do you think that people have different ideas of what that is?
3: So, yeah, I talk about this often. I think our colleagues in TV, film, uh, people who make a lot more money than we do, a lot of ways, <laughs> they often have the funds to have both a manager and an agent in tandem. You know, I get asked all the time by non-operatic people, you know, is your life like entourage? Are you like Jeremy Piven? And <laughs> if not my life. I sort of wish it was sometimes. But in the show, you know, the main character has a manager and an agent who fulfill very different roles. The manager is an advisor. It's someone who really has input on projects and repertoire and uh, career building, where the agent agent is more the procurer of work, negotiator of your contract, hmm. the nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. uh, kind of really cut and dry execution part of it. Now, we at Opera often don't have the funds to have both, so we fill both those walls. Uh, I think the managerial part is infinitely more important in terms of talking about repertoire, career choices, even things like where you live affecting your career or having kids or having these collaborative conversations about life choices. Of course, we're not defining them, but we—it it is a need-to-know basis sort of thing. And we feel really confident that our clients feel comfortable Sharing those things with us in a lot of ways. So the manager's role, I think, is to be part of the toolbox. It's to know the singer's voice inside and out. It's to give them the repertoire that will put them in the best situation moving forward. It's to put them in front of companies that will appreciate them, and it's making sure that their materials, website, recordings, headshot are up to date. Basically, outside of executing those things ourselves, and we have a running list of of um, vendors that we use often web designers, headshot photographers, uh, publicists. And, you know, we suggest people, we absolutely do not require art- artists to use them. It's the same like voice teachers and coaches. There are voice teachers that I recommend, but on strategy, we don't have an official sort of mm-hmm. the voice teacher of the stars sort of thing. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I think it's just the responsibility is to be proactive and really getting into these people's lives. You know, hearing a singer audition 15 times in a, in a season shows a lot. Because every audition is not going to be at 100%. Every audition is not going to be the best rep in the package. If you haven't had Naria picked in 15 auditions, it's probably time to switch it out. So, <laughs> you know, of course we are on the phone with companies suggesting people for repertoire, getting them contracts, making sure they're executed. That to me is the less important and less interesting part of the job. Although getting to know my administrative colleagues has been a joy and some of them are really a good friends. But I think setting forth a executable career path is our biggest goal. And our biggest component.
4: That's
0: very interesting. Wow, I never thought about that. And it's interesting to hear you say what you think is more important because it's not probably, I don't think, what I would have thought that you would have said.
3: <laughs> and, you know, I think too, like, of course, negotiating contracts is important. We also get paid. But I feel like a much wider group of people can execute a contract and, and negotiate it than can talk intelligently about repertoire. And can put singers in the right situations to succeed. So that's a skill set that I see in less of my colleagues.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And do you think that that, is, that that definition is common in opera management?
3: Less so than it should be. Um, there are a few firms in this country who I've been using the term moral compass a lot as we move forward. I think there are certain management companies who have best interests of artists in mind who push them forward in an effective and sustainable way. Uh, And of course, the strategy model is not the right fit for everybody. I absolutely understand singers who are with IMG and Camille and Opus 3, where they have global offices, where they have this huge reach, and you're on the same roster as, you know, the stars. Mm -hmm. And I get that approach. Um, I think our approach is more effective, but I think if I didn't think that, we wouldn't be running this company. Yep. So I hope that my colleagues are fulfilling both the manager and agent's role. But I do notice that there are a lot more agents out there than there are managers, and I feel like in order to cultivate and preserve the best level of singing from the next generation of opera singers, that managerial advice needs to be more prominent. Uh, With our right. industry.
1: right? So you would, I, I, to kind of like cap recap all of that. You would say that like a good manager is someone who's you know well acquainted with their singers with their singers capabilities puts them up for jobs that is a, that are appropriate for them not just like oh here's a susanna so i'm going to put every soprano in my on my roster up for that same audition um that you're you know deeply uh, just intimately aware of the strengths and weaknesses of each of your singers and how to leverage those accordingly
3: yeah absolutely and i think um, roster duplicity and construction is a huge part of what we do. There are, of course, roles that cross over with multiple singers on our roster. I use this you know, all the time as the example for this, where mm-hmm. you can have sort of a light, clearer color and tour soprano sing that role. You can have an older, more rounded middle sound sing that role and you can have a high lyric that sing that role all totally dependably vocally correct it just depends on the director and, and company's take from the role mm-hmm. so I'm more than willing to send one of each of those singers to an audition but never two who have a similar timbre or take on it uh, I feel like our roster is already competing against everyone else why are they competing against themselves and mm-hmm. I think the roster continuity and community we've been able to create is because we're conscious of that because we're not just signing every singer who's good and then we have no idea what to do with them. There is a clear role and path for each singer on our roster. And of course, some of them crisscross. I talked to a singer this morning about another person in their Bach and we used to Venn diagram as our sort of take on it. But I think that is, you know, the way we audition people, we have an hour of singing and then at least an hour of talking afterwards, no matter if we're interested in the singer or not. That level of research and due diligence is what promotes healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're considering a singer, I call singers on our roster who have worked with them. I call producers who have worked with them. You know, I call their worst enemies and their best friends because I need to know every side of them. And I hope that the singers who are considering us do the same. And I feel very confident with every singer in our roster singing our phrases because I think we do really good. And I know many of my, not many, some of my managerial colleagues don't have that same level of Satisfaction.
0: yes so then what as an artist do you think that we should look for in in management besides just finding the right fit for someone personality wise right um but more specifically like what like retainer fees is one of the things that's like in my brain talking and um are there any management that you feel like looks like Is all management good? You know, like what? Can we just talk a little bit about some of those qualities that singers can um,
3: think about? Yeah. So to go back to the moral compass argument, I think any sort of retainer fee is morally apprehensible. I think if all those firms could fall into the ocean, I would not complain. And I think about not even about. I think a large, a large faction of managed artists do not need to. I think they're actually taking a group of opportunities that they could be accessible to and throwing them out the window. It's being attached to firms that don't have the best reputations, firms where your manager can easily be a detriment. You know, if your manager doesn't have a great relationship with a house, you're not gonna have a great relationship with that house unless there's something pre-existing. So, you know, my advice to singers is never to pay a retainer. I don't think we should be paid to do nothing. You know, my mantra is we don't get paid till the singer gets paid. And I think that should be the way it is. It's moving forward and, and retainers are criminal. They're just taking advantage of singers who are dying to be on a website, dying to have that validation. I think singers should really consider, singers don't need to go to the first manager that has interested. In you. you know, I mean, so many singers get excited. Oh, this manager's excited in me. They can move me to the next level. But do your research. I mean, I tell every singer who considers us, talk to your colleagues who work with us. Talk to administrators to talk to us. And that research, I think, goes out the window a little bit because singers are so excited. And I think singers are really desperate to create art in the best possible way. Yeah. And I just think looking at their website, looking at their social media presence, looking at um, when you email a manager, do they email you back? I think there has to be a mutual attraction there in a lot of ways. And you know, I will say that we answer every email from clients that we get or prospective clients uh, that are interested in our roster, but if you write Dear sir Madame, madam, I'm interested in your roster, and it's clearly a BCC. Like you're going to get a shorter response than creating something that hooks me in. You know, I tell singers all the time. Like Ken Benson wrote this article in Opera years ago, and he said singers need to be tastefully shameless about reaching out to people. And I think any hook you can have, I you know, know the conductor on your roster or a singer on your roster, they recommended you dated your eighth soprano's cousin you know with ninth tree in a show with someone <laughs> i just think there are so many opportunities in such a small world to connect yeah and that's just going to elicit a, a more substantial response from us uh, right. because you know in the last calendar year we have gotten over 350 singer emails of people wanting to be on our roster and we have heard less than 10 of them. it's just we're not really looking to become a 200-person firm, although we easily could be. I just think quantity, uh, quality over quantity at this point is a plus. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those 10 that we heard had, you know, specific roster needs to us, were at a certain level, are people who folks on our roster would vouch for from a personal level. And I think the community we have created on our roster transcends any talent. I am not going to represent someone who I don't want to go have a beer with after a show. Mm-hmm. It's just not worth my time. I have, a, <laughs> I have a life outside of my company and those folks stress me out. And they also are a terrible representation of what we do. Like if you're a singer on a roster and you show up unprepared or you're a bad colleague, it makes me look bad. Mm-hmm. It makes Zoe look bad. So I think just that accountability is really important. And, and also knowing that your manager works for you. It's not the other way around. And I think singers so often think they're disposable entities and that they can be replaced. But really? I think managers are incredibly replaceable. Right. There's a lot of good ones out there. Which, which is,
1: yeah. No, sorry, finish your thought.
3: <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> I was I was just
1: to say that that's, that's a, a really interesting thing that you say there because I think it, it puts into contrast, I think from the singer's point of view, there's kind of anecdotally a belief that gets held... I don't think anyone's ever specifically said it to me, but there's generally a feeling amongst us that like, oh, once you have a manager, then people will take you seriously. Then you will have made it. Then you are a real singer, like that people will think you're worth paying attention to. And I I think we need to be talking more about like you have to know how to manage yourself to a large extent before somebody else is going to pick you up and that you are worth people's time. And like, not all management, not just having a manager makes you worthwhile, right? To speak mm-hmm. to Elise's point, like there can, a, 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 the wrong manager could be bad for you.
2: Yeah, I think there's a, a very common misconception that once you get signed by a manager, you've made it. And, um, you know, that is very much not true. You know, being signed by a manager is just the start of a new relationship. It's the start of a new journey. And I think, you know, singers, especially young singers are sort of conditioned to just be so grateful for every single opportunity that they don't stop to think, you know, is this the right opportunity? Mm. Um, and I just think, you know, there, there should be accountability on both sides. You know, we expect our singers to um, perform and behave at a certain standard and, you know, they, they should expect the same from us. And so, you know, for a singer, if you're if you're in talks with a manager, you know, my advice is always just ask questions Get as much transparency, build that communication early. And if, you know, if you're not getting responses, if you're not hearing back for weeks at a time, if they get offended by you questioning their ideas for you, their plans for you, um, their commission structure, if they get offended by any of those questions, you know, that's that's a terrible sign. And if you, if you back away, that's not gonna end your career. This isn't your one shot to be managed. There are a lot of managers out there.
0: Yeah, a lot of singers, especially when you're younger and you're working on building a career, but we want like help. (laughs) I mean, we want help, we need help and doing it alone is A, not fun and B, really hard.
1: (laughs) Right, right. There's also just not a lot of clear information available to us. I mean, in full disclosure, you know, Justin did a consultation with me a year and some change ago, you know, and kind of just laid out some really actionable steps for me in terms of like, here's how to go about like managing your career, where it's at right now so that you can take it to the next level until you're at a place where a manager is going to be wanting to pick you up. Um, And I'd, I'd love for you to speak to some of that, because I think like that information is nothing. No one had ever given me really like, you should probably do this, 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 and this everyone, you know, like, it's just like, oh, audition and you'll get work and then you'll figure it out. And that's not helpful.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think there's this really odd smoking mirrors about managers that there were really these like scary dementors behind the black curtain and that we're <laughs> unacceptable and that we're scary. And that's just not a case. And so many of my managerial colleagues are lovely human beings who become dear friends. And I remember in the hallway of NOLA, R.I.P. NOLA. Um, I saw these group of young singers chittering about about something and a colleague walked over to me and I thought, like, oh, they're talking about you. They're really like freaked out in you're here and think you're judging them. I'm like, What am I, judging them in the hallway? I'm not in their audition. And I walked <laughs> over and, and introduced myself to one of the singers who I had heard at a young arts program before and he cried because I remembered him. And that was really weird to me because this is someone who's like two years younger than me He's a really talented singer mm-hmm. who just like had a gut reaction that they need to be afraid of, you know, yeah. a person who could possibly help them later on. Mm-hmm. And for me, whenever, in, when anyone asks a question about management, I feel an obligation to answer it because it's not anything I was taught in school. And I had really good mentorship. I had amazing mentorship. that got me to where I am. You know, any young singer, young administrators, especially like we need to cultivate the best brains to move this industry forward. Um, I also think there are a group of companies, especially those that post on Net tracker, that actually prefer using unmanned singers because they're cheaper. There are multiple companies that we have priced out of and will not work with us anymore because I'm too expensive. And I'm not going to send a singer for peanuts to do a lead role in a six-week rehearsal period for like nothing. You know, mm-hmm. it just it's not conducive to growth on our side. There have been singers in the past where there's a certain level of company that we're not helpful with and we parted ways because I don't feel like we're being helpful. Mm -hmm. Especially young artist programs, more and more young artist programs are taking managed artists over the years. But in a way, especially summer programs, they want to discover something. If they are managed, especially by someone good, they're already discovered. So like what, you know, everyone wants to be the first to like plant their flag. Mm -hmm. So in a way, again, like Zoe said, having a manager doesn't mean you've made it in a lot of ways, getting a manager too early is incredibly detrimental because after your two-year contract's up and you have no work, then you've lost all the momentum you had pre-management and you haven't done anything. So, you know, I tell singers all the time, your work actually doubles when you get us on your team because you have to CC us on everything. You have to share your calendar. If you're going away for a wedding, you need to tell us because we might double book you on a gig. So there's actually a real labor to it. Uh, I think it's a positive thing most of the time and singers are really willing to communicate and collaborate on the process because all of it's not on their plate because there is another party that can help that has the expertise but it's definitely work Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: what kinds of i'm curious um what kinds of or what does a career look like um and I know this, this is like so broad and I don't know, <laughs> but like, okay. Unmanaged artists, like we've, you've said before, all the artists that are managed don't need to be managed. And like management doesn't not need to be something that you necessarily strive for. So what, what do you feel like that an artist's career without management, like what kinds of things could artists be doing? Maybe that they're that they haven't thought of in terms of maybe reaching out to certain companies? Cause I think it feels like for a lot of singers, like, okay, I have a yap tracker, but when I get management, hopefully they can help me get jobs that I don't know how to get by myself. Are there ways that artists specifically could reach out to companies or certain um, the way that a career would look like without management and then how that would change if they were on your roster? Does that question make sense?
3: No, that makes sense totally. And I think number one, it's utilizing the contacts that you have. I think we all have been in school with people who are working at larger places, who are conducting, directing, administrating at companies where that familiarity can get you higher. Um, You know, the new administrators at four different companies within the last year are people that I've either sung with or went to school with. And those people are folks who i call and I feel really comfortable calling and have been really helpful in hiring folks from our roster. Um, So those relationships run deep. And I think, you know, treating everyone kindly because you never know where they're going to end up. Number one, Um, (laughs) you know, number two, I think having a list of cities where you have local housing. And then contacting those companies is really valuable, especially in terms of smaller opera companies and symphonies that may not have the budget to bring in an out-of-town artist. And if you can, you know, I was talking to a a friend of mine who I went to school with, who's the music director at a tier two company. And she told me that when they hire an out-of-town artist, 50% of the money goes to their housing. If you can save a company that fee, they're more likely to hire you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even us, we have a beautiful map that Zoe designed of the entire world with the entire the world. Fair, <laughs> you know, I mean, we have singers yes. who um, have housing in Honolulu mm-hmm. or housing in Sydney or housing in Munich, like, and those are ways that we can try to procure work. I actually send most of the opera companies in the country a list every year of our singers who have local housing. And often for like medium-sized roles where they can't have a young artist cover it, they get hired first. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes you can get a per diem and a flight if you're not based there, but have a place to stay. Because I mean, a hotel for three weeks, four weeks, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So having that resource and then also just, you know, so much of it is just crowdsourcing from your colleagues. You know, I have so many engagements that have popped up on my radar because, you know, a singer will be out to dinner with an artistic director and be like, oh, we need a mezzo for this gig two weeks like do you have someone or you know i get tipped off on facebook or i get tipped off on instagram or someone called me out of the blue like you just never know where work's going to come from um and also what the financial gain and artistic value is balanced out i will say for our clients we don't always take the more high paying gig because sometimes the the re higher value or the artistic value or the relationships you build in that gig are higher um so i think all of that really needs to be considered and it's not just chasing the highest paycheck mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean those are actionable items i think really using your network whether it be mentors teachers coaches colleagues to suggest management to be at engagements for other companies and shaking the hand of the artistic director like that is so often a way you get hired yeah. it's so often a way that like especially if you live in a city with an opera company that you know Opera Philly hired a lot of locals, and I love that they do that, and right. I think it's great to really value the community in that way, but if you shake the hand of Michael Aberhart or David DeVan, one of those folks, Sarah Williams, they're more likely to an answer to email. If you yeah. say, I met you last night, loved your show, would love to know about future opportunities, like, that versus a cold call is night and Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Just be a manager. This isn't. This is great. I love it. I love it.
3: <laughs> no, I, yeah, self management is incredibly important, and I think you know, uh, singers will always look out for their best interests more than their manager, because you know, even for us, who we proudly give a shit about all our clients, and I think that's sort of the key. <laughs> I'm not gonna value. Is that the new singer. tagline? Yeah, we give a shit <laughs> um, but, proudly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not going to value their individual needs as much as they do. And we accept that. So, yeah, I mean, that self awareness and appreciation for your own talent is incredibly important.
4: Yeah, right, right.
5: Behind the Curtain with the opera
1: dolls. I'm Jenny. I'm Anna. And I'm Christina. And we're three New York City opera singers that created plush opera singing dolls in order to make opera tangible, relevant, and accessible to all, especially kids. We love opera. You love opera. But
5: why don't our kids play some for them, people? We know these plots aren't always kid friendly, our little mezzo Carmen, quote unquote, the traveler, and all the sopranos that die in the end. Whoops. But let's be real. This art form is super important and has
2: inspired music and society throughout history. Check us out on theOperdolls.com or follow us at TheOperdolls on Instagram.
5: Hello everyone, this is Christina, one of the co-founders of The Opera Dolls. Now, since we have an adorable Aida opera doll, you're probably wondering how we explain the story of Aida to kids, because once again, opera has a lot of adult themes. Well, we don't tell kids that Aida chooses to be buried alive with her love interest at the end of the opera because, well, that's very intense and traumatizing for a kid to hear. This is what we do tell kids. Hello opera fan, I'm Aida, a princess from Ethiopia that is being held captive in Egypt. Radames, an Egyptian soldier, is my knight in shining armor, but our love is forbidden because our countries are enemies. Giuseppe Verdi wrote the opera, titled Aida, about our love story. In my aria, O Patria Mia, I sing about missing my home. So that's all we tell kids. It's very kid-friendly. This way, your child will not hear about Aida's tragic and, quite frankly, gross ending. And instead, he or she will hear a beautiful melody from Verdi and maybe even be curious about where Egypt and Ethiopia are. This might strike a curiosity in geography. You can show them where Egypt and Ethiopia are on a map. That's part of the beauty of opera. The stories are from all over the world. And that's all. Back to my so-called
1: opera life podcast. Let's talk about COVID. <laughs> the elephant in the room. Hopefully mm-hmm. not in the room. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> Stay outside.
0: I know you guys talked about your um, thinking and, and strategizing and implementing some strategies uh, within your company uh, to help your artists and your company move forward. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could talk about some of those strategies.
3: Zee, why don't you take this
2: one? All right. Um, so you know, first of all, we're trying to use this time uh, just to really check in with our artists. Um, we've been doing you know weekly check ins with our entire roster um, every Tuesday at two p.m. And uh, that's been really valuable just to, you know, provide moral support, to hear what's going on with people, to answer questions, to talk about, you know, getting unemployment, things like that. Um, I think that's been really important. Um, also, it's given the roster an opportunity to sort of connect as a community, to use each other as a resource. Um, we've started Google Hangouts for our roster, which is is still kind of chugging along. We're, we're getting it to start taking off. But um, right now, I think they've started a German learning group. So, you know, two folks who are in Europe right now are practicing German with um, some of the people here. We have a group for financial questions. We have a group for some of our, you know, younger singers to talk about young artist programs. Um, That's all sort of taking off. I've been doing, you know, website consultations, social media consultations. with people I have on this afternoon, um, just really as a great chance to build your website, build your brand, talk about content, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, but then, you know, looking forward, we're just really trying to get everyone's materials together, um, honing those materials. Uh, Justin's been working on, you know, a couple really fun, exciting projects that we have in the works in the next couple months, which I don't know if you feel like mentioning. I can talk are you
3: about one of them. One of, one of them's cooked yeah i think you know to to continue on zoe's point i think it, it's taking each individual artist them coming back online at their own pace because i think we all need to go through the five steps about all this lost work about the state of our industry and i have singers who from day one of covid were like i need to get shit to do like i need rep to learn i need to really have actionable items and then there are singers who still don't feel ready and that's cool so one of the questions that I've been asked over and over is I really want to find something new, American aria wise, that I can have to stand out for my colleagues. Cause I think I love Tom Ciccolo, but we've all heard My Darling Jim enough. We've all heard Emily's aria enough, you know? So we have reached out to, I think it's 45 composers and libretta so far. I have a list of about 40 more. And I think 42 of them gotten back to us already with full catalogs of scores with resources that I never could have imagined, with so many opportunities to collaborate. I have a pile of perusal scores in my Dropbox that is uh, large, to say the least. And I think just having this repertoire accessible to artists and having connections with living composers is incredibly important. And American American opera is something I've always felt really passionate about. I think it's incredibly important for singers of this country to sing in our vernacular and to have stories that are relatable in a lot of ways. So we are currently working on that and really just getting a larger amount of repertoire within the camp. I want that Wolf Trap aria list to look a lot different next year. Um, I think it's really valuable. And of course the standards are the standards for a reason. We're never gonna get rid of Akikiis no matter what we wanna do, but there's so much amazing repertoire out there. And honestly, Philly's been a huge part of that. Um, And two of the composers that I've talked to in depth, there are Linda Beecher and Renee Orrith, who have both had commission, possible commission coming up in Upper Philly. And talking to them about the commissioning process, talking to them about, you know, getting stuff on its feet is incredibly nice. to have our artists as better communities, better members of the artistic community, and to understand again what wearing that hat behind the scenes looks like. Uh, and we always strive to give our artists opportunities to experience that. You know, I think if you're a singer and you can watch a day of auditions, you will learn 80 times more than what you would auditioning 20 times, mm-hmm. seeing what works, what doesn't work, how people present themselves. You know, it improved my singing so much to learn a company. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and I think the most thing you realize is, or the biggest thing you realize is every panel wants you to be the answer, or they wouldn't hear you. Yeah. I think a lot of singers go into auditions are like I'm going to suck and they're going to hate me and blah blah blah. They're like, no, we want you to be the person we cast,
4: mm-hmm.
3: or hilariously bad. But like, <laughs> usually, uh, there are a couple of audition stories I still tell to this day, oh, which right. warm my heart. And but I mean, we really, really want you. To be. We want you to be the answer. We, like anyone I hear for the roster, level, I go in hearing them because I want you to sign them. I want them to be a good fit, like we've done all this research. Why do it if we're like, oh, you're not good enough. So of course there's pressure, of course there's judgment, I think that's unavoidable. But I think just some more collaboration in the industry and I think more community. Uh, one of the coolest things we saw last year was our last audition of the year, or one of our last auditions, uh, was for on Opera, who I adore, I'm the head of their Artistic Advisory Council, they're amazing. But we, we rented a room in a secret studio that we're not going to tell anyone because we don't want anyone else to go there. And we were the only opera company and opera audition in the building. And I think we had 16 people audition in a two-hour period. But over that two hours, I think like 35 people from our roster showed up just to hang out. you know. And, and so many people stopped by the auditions, were like, oh my God, he sounds amazing or she sounds amazing. Even people in the same fox people were just sitting in the hallway hanging out you know supporting their colleagues we all went and got a beer afterwards uh, my wife and i throw a christmas party every year for our roster and it's usually like 90% attendance like that the community is real and that mm-hmm. is what i'm most proud of more much more than any singer or any talent like just the people we have are good salt of the earth people and Yeah, I just, I want the, and it's happening. There's less drama in the audition hallways. And there's, uh, I think it's harder to be a diva these days Mm -hmm. because companies just have so many options. Mm -hmm. Unless you're the next coming. Like if you suck as a person, no one's hiring you. Um, And that word spreads very quickly. But yeah, I just want less of that sort of, oh, what are you singing in your package? And like, oh, like I wouldn't do, like that, bullshit that, that. <laughs> yeah so if, my, if our roster can be part of that revolution i'd be very happy
0: yeah what do you see as like the future of opera i i'm sure there are things that maybe you can't talk about but hopefully maybe you could give us a sense of within the worlds of of larger companies and what they're thinking about the future um specifically as it relates to how we can't possibly get in a theater in large numbers, but also just in general. I mean, we definitely started this podcast so that we could promote community and less, you know, diva mentality, or even the the concept that there is a diva mentality. I think sometimes people just think that there is, you know? Um, yeah. And so to break down those walls, I think is definitely happening in the larger community um, and singers, you know, Becoming more empowered and confident—that's part of the movement for sure. Um, but what about the future of opera, like for our audiences and um, and for larger companies that they're thinking of? You know, are we looking at um, are we looking at virtual operas? Uh, what do you What do you think about repertoire and and those kinds of things?
3: I think it it promotes groups to think both as individual entities and members of the operatic community. I will say that the managers have been meeting, or the US-based managers have been meeting once a week for the last two months to talk about many issues. Uh, there is a new Facebook group that started as an international managers coalition. Uh, I know the Agma Solis coalition is doing amazing work with their efforts. Uh, I know the directors are talking more and more. You know, I think every entity has its own opportunity to think, an opportunity to not have a timeline on a specific project, but to think more long-term. I don't want to get into any specific thoughts about each company individually. I will say there are some that are being more innovative than others. And one of my directors said, the decadence of opera is over. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. I don't think we're going to lose, not say, bohem, but I do think we need to be more creative about the impact of dramatic storytelling versus size of production. And I don't think producing on a budget means bad or means less lavish or means worse singing. I just mm-hmm. think we need to be really creative about how the storytelling occurs. I do think American opera will flourish because I think a lot of times those stories can be told with a smaller pit or a smaller cast in a sh- i mean one act then minute opera I think for the future uh in a lot of ways, mm. and you know I think it's cool that there's so much content available these days, but it's starting to get, you know, really flooded in terms of just so many options. I will say as someone who loves opera, loves talking shop, I've sat down to zero live streams during this time. I talk shop all day. I don't need to watch you know, 1980s Ring Cycle and if people (laughs) want to do that, cool. It's enough for one day. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, the, the quality of thinking will rise to the top in a lot of ways. I hope, and we are really proud to be part of the conversations happening.
0: Yay! I thought we could end by asking you each what you love about opera. Why did you choose opera as your? Um, you know what stands out to you, and in, in especially, you know, relating it relates to why we decide to stick around in in this field at this time, too.
3: So for me, it's the people. I think the opera folks are some of the most compassionate, passionate, smart, capable folks I've ever met. I think the operatic community loves the operatic community more than almost any group of folks that I know. <laughs> I think the operatic community also hates people in the operatic community more than. Any group I know. <laughs> but you know, I think the relationships are a huge part of it. I also think that opera is the perfect sim- synthesis of what drama is to have dance, music, acting, every aspect of theater making in one package, in one evening, mm-hmm. is incredibly special. And I just hope that during the attrition rate of this crisis, we don't lose the great story time um, and that we give the resources that folks need to stay in, That's gonna create a better artist world for all of us.
1: Agreed.
2: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and you stole mine. Um, but I will say <laughs> that, uh, you know, I think opera is the most pure art form that there ever exists. If you, I, I already confirmed that I'm a nerd, but, you know, cave people used to call to each other. There's something incredibly powerful about the human voice. And I think, you know, that combined with the operatic community, it's this very tight knit, there's a humanness um, to opera that I think, is very unique to the industry and um I hope that we can find even more of that going forward and that's you know that's the name of the game for us here at Stratagem Artists we're we're humans and we're proud of the humans we represent and um that is one of the greatest art forms there is not to sound super cheesy but that is uh, that is one of the greatest parts about this industry is
0: that humanity is all over it. I completely agree. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This was amazing.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah, we're so grateful. (laughs) Yeah,
3: and I think just reach out to us with questions. Like we are around, I think we, you know, Zoe and I, to an extent, have more time than usual. And there are folks who emailed me once and we've become really dear friends. And I want to really continue cultivating as many relationships as I can.
4: Yeah, awesome. We love questions.
2: We're here because you're here. So make us useful. (laughs) love that
0: attitude <laughs> thank you so much that was awesome well that's our episode for today thanks to Justin and Zoe for coming on the podcast find out more about stratagem artists by visiting their website at www.stratagemartists.com. you can also
1: find them on instagram at Artists. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode on social media at my so-called opera life or send us an email at info at my so-called opera we love to hear from you. Finally, many thanks to our season two sponsor, the Sparkle Twins. If you're looking for a mouth mask these days so you can leave your house to stock up on coffee or let's be serious, some wine. Support these artists in the process by ordering one of their mouth masks made especially with singers and performers in mind. To order yours, visit www.Sopranotwins.com forward slash shop. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep on singing. Bye!